We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. Today, I am excited to have Heather Staker on the program. She is going to talk to us about a whole bunch of stuff around blended learning. And one of the things that she talks about is getting clear on your technology purchases. And so I made a little handout for you. That's three questions to ask yourself to get clear on your technology purchases. So if you'd go to transformativeprincipal.org and fill out the form there, you'll be able to get that in your email and that'll help you deliver a clear message about why you need specific technology. All right. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited to have Heather Staker on the podcast today. She is a former McKinsey consultant and author, co-author of the book, Blended Learning, Using Disruptive Innovation to Improve Schools. And uh, Heather, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Jethro. It's great to be with you. Since I kind of butchered your intro, would you mind... uh, giving a better intro of your background? Well, sure. I live in Austin, Texas. I had my first foray into education as a senior in high school. I was a student member of the California State Board of Education, which was a very unusual experience to travel to Sacramento for a week each month and have full voting rights on the California State Board of Education for a year. And that early exposure to education gave me a heart for the problems that I saw as I saw lots of students and toured lots of schools and also a desire to improve the system. So I went on to uh, pursue an MBA and and really learn strategy. And then in the past few years, I've worked with the Clayton Christensen Institute as well as founded my own 
a training firm called Ready to Blend, where we help schools improve their strategy, specifically with blended learning, with using online learning in schools. Very cool. So I do want to take just a moment and talk about that state school board member. And I grew up in California and didn't know that we had a student representative on the state school board, but I think that's a pretty powerful thing. What did you have to learn very quickly to be able to be successful in that? Well, it was in the 90s that I had that position. And at that time, the there was a lot of energy around school vouchers. And so I had to learn to speak to the press because so often I was contacted by the press wanting to hear the student voice, if there is such a thing, on the school voucher initiatives, as well as several other very controversial topics at the time and learning to express my opinion in a way that was uh, helpful and also collaborative. I didn't want to sound like I represented only certain students, but I wanted to have a, a, a reasonable and balanced voice that would benefit us as a whole. And I think that's the value of having a student member is really just having someone sitting there on the stand with the other members, reminding everyone that when it comes down to it, we are thinking about policies and choices that affect real human beings and their children. And so I think it was partly just the symbolism of having me there, reminding everyone of what their decisions, who their decisions were impacting that was the most important part of the job. I love that idea of Um, making sure that we recognize the policies that we are making impact real human beings, real children. And that is just so important. It's so easy in education for us to just think about it as a numbers game and, you know, how many kids we're pushing through the system. And that's not the right approach because it's really, education really impacts every single kid that goes through it. And we need to make sure that we do that in as positive a way as possible. So how did that experience set up your career choice? And and what kinds of things did you do after that to help you get into education and teaching teachers how to change their instruction? After completing that tenure, I went to Harvard for undergraduate as well as stayed there for to get an MBA. And the value of that was that I became deeply interested in and and well-versed in innovation and in how organizations use innovation to improve their services. And that lens is certainly relevant in the social sector for healthcare and for education. And so I went on after that to work for the Clayton Christensen Institute for Disruptive Innovation, whose mission it is to use the lens of innovation to help improve the set of options in in these social sectors that have long time struggled with with different problems that that the hope is that we can innovate our way out of and my first assignment at the Christensen Institute was to research what schools meant when they said the word blended learning and this was back in 2009 2010 when that word was being bandied around but we just weren't sure what it meant. And so I taught to 40 different schools and and districts that were doing something that they called blended learning and helped with Michael Horn at the education practice to coin a definition for blended learning and to start to 
to develop a taxonomy, a way of categorizing and classifying the different varieties of blended learning that we saw emerging in the K-12 landscape in America. Yeah, that is that is so fascinating. So I was a, a teacher in that time period and thought it would be a good idea since YouTube existed to teach my students how to write a paragraph. Um, and I created a YouTube channel just for that. And somehow I don't have the password anymore. So those videos are still sitting out there and I can't add to them or edit them or anything. But it was it was a way that I went through to to help make sure my students knew how to write a, a five paragraph essay. And and it's it's just so funny to look back and see where I was then and how that was that was truly innovative back then. But now it seems like everybody is doing something similar to that. And I didn't even have a word for that at the time. Like, you know, people had a word blended learning, but nobody really knew what it was. So in doing that, what was your, obviously that set you up for this long uh, career since then of, of doing great things to, to help teachers. Can you talk about the seven different types of blended learning that you talk about in Blended? Sure. And I have to say you were ahead of your time to be doing that already. And to to notice, rightfully so, that there was an efficient an efficiency to be gained by allowing your students to have access to your expertise without your necessarily needing to stand in front of the entire class at once and deliver it to them. And so you noticed that and acted on it. And it's not only the efficiency, which is just common sense of allowing students to access the content where they need it and when they need it and at the pace they need it. That just is common sense. And this immediately, as soon as we have the tools to allow students to do that, it makes so much sense to me that we would give them those options. But it's also giving them the agency, the ability to choose for themselves, which is such a concept that we have put on the back burner in education with our top-down instruction for too many years. And we now have these innovations that are pushing power out to the to the children to be able to drive their own learning. And that is what is most exciting to me. So you asked yeah. what at the Christensen Institute has led to the to the seven models and how we arrived at that. Well, Clayton Christensen and Curtis Johnson and Michael Horn wrote this book, Disrupting Class, that published in 2008. And it predicted that online learning would fundamentally transform the way the world learns. And when I first heard that prediction, I thought that is preposterous that online learning would be the big aha for the K-12 education system. It just didn't seem, it seemed like a on the side, just noise. It didn't seem like it was yeah. it was as important as the book made it out to be. So in 2010, as I started looking at how schools were using online learning and finding that really when they say blended learning, they mean a formal education program that combines online learning with still coming to a brick and mortar school and that that phenomenon was growing. And what we discovered was that it was emerging in a variety of ways and that in some schools, we were seeing rotation models where students were rotating at the dis- teacher's discretion or at the ring of a bell among different learning modalities. So they might do online learning for a portion of the time and then face-to-face instruction and then maybe a group project. So and that would be a station rotation or a lab rotation, or maybe they were doing a flipped classroom where they would do the online learning at home and then come to school for the application. And those were the models we were seeing in the rotation that were all rotations. And then separately from those, we were seeing flex models. There was an, a school in Austin, Texas called Acton Academy that used online learning as really the backbone of the 
of the, their content for core skills. And so students accessed the various online programs for core skills and worked through the content on their own. And that was a flex model. And there were guides on the side to help them, but the students were very much controlling the timing of their learning, which is different from in a station rotation. And then that freed them up for the rest of the day to do hands-on projects and Socratic discussions and other interesting things. And the truth is, when we when I first started learning about that flex model at Acton Academy, I was living in Hawaii at the time, working remotely for the Christensen Institute. And I was so enamored by what Acton Academy was doing that we moved with our five children to Austin, Texas to put our own children in that school. So I became wow. not only a researcher <laughs> of blended learning, but very much a parent who's helping my own children navigate a 21st century avant-garde learning design. And it's been helpful to me to, to experience it in that very personal way. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. It, it has been, it brought a lot of reality to, to the work. And then two other models that we've observed are the a la carte models where students are taking fully online courses, as well as enriched virtual models where students are only coming to school two days a week or perhaps two days a month to, to learn face-to-face and then the rest of the time they do the online learning. Okay. So very cool. So for people who want to go deeper into those, I suggest you get the book Blended Learning Using Disruptive Innovation to Improve Schools or go back and listen to my interview with uh, Michael Horn, the co-author of that book, episode 201 or 202 or somewhere around there. But what I really want to talk to you today about, Heather, is especially since you're a parent, there are a lot of concerns that I've heard, my district is really pushing personalized learning and using these kind of blended models to meet the needs of our students. And we consistently hear concerns, complaints about what it actually is. And mostly those are misinformation that people don't truly understand. Because when you phrase it how you and I have talked about it already, it sounds like, well, why wouldn't I want my kid to be in that environment? Because it's personalized to them and their unique needs and all that. But there are still challenges inherent with doing a a blended model and things that that are things we need to be cautious about. So what are some of the challenges you see that we still face with implementing blended learning in our schools? Well, I think you're right that one of the main problems is that schools lead with these one-to-one initiatives. And we lead with the announcement to parents that, hey, we're going to give each student a computer, a device that they can use all of the time. And as a parent, I know that most parents do not want more screen time in their children's lives. And on one hand, screen time can can be maybe neutral or a waste of time, but we have to recognize also that it can be positively toxic. And there are a lot of very inappropriate things online that children have access to when they have a device. And so those are real problems and concerns that parents face and that need to be addressed very carefully by schools so that devices and all of that access redounds to the benefit of these children as opposed to their not to be extreme, but I think almost destruction, which is where we're seeing in our society with the proliferation of of devices and destinations that aren't necessarily in children's best interest. So one of the first things schools can do is lead with a very clear plan for how they will use online learning to give students access to opportunities and enrichment that wasn't available before and not lead with just the announcement of we're investing in computers, but lead with the, the objectives and the, the concrete and strategic plan for how those computers will enhance the learning objectives that the school intends to achieve. 
Yeah, I, I was recently on a uh, committee to review grant proposals, and so many of the grant proposals were asking for money to get devices, and very few of them were, like you said, leading with a clear plan of how they're going to use that technology. And it was just so fascinating to me because, like you, I see the inherent problem with that. As a father myself with four kids, I do not want my kids to have any more screen time than they have to have. I want them to use the technology and I want them to be comfortable with it, but I also definitely don't want free reign and I want them to be able to make good choices with it. So, you know, one of my biggest fears as a parent is if the teacher is not technologically savvy, then they're going to have a a bad experience with that because they're not going to know what the kids are doing or how to prevent or teach the kids what they should be doing. And my you know, my mantra has been that technology is a force multiplier and it can either, you know, make a good teacher great or it can make a bad teacher even worse. And people who listen to the podcast have heard me say that a hundred times, I'm sure. But that idea of just using technology for technology's sake just makes my blood boil every single time I hear it. And so what are, in addition to leading with a clear plan of how to use online learning, what else can the schools do to make sure that they're having the right message about that. Well, at the district level and at the vendor level, there is so much that should be done to prevent teachers from having to be the technology experts that prevent the bad stuff from creeping into the onto those computers. So I call upon companies like Google and Apple to make it much easier to set up firewalls and filters. It's ridiculous that we don't have simple plug and play solutions to make it much easier for parents and teachers to protect children. And I I think it's a shameful place that we're in right now and that we need to be much more articulate about asking for those simple functions to be installed in an easy way for end users. But apart from that, one of the things that schools can do and principals can do is help teachers to reimagine their role. And this is one of the things I'm most excited about with the technology is that what we're seeing is that as teachers allow the content and instruction to be delivered through an online format, then it frees up their time to connect one-on-one with individual students, to give them individual feedback, to give them encouragement, to ask them how they're doing. Do they have a friend who they eat lunch with? To see what, what their learning goals are and how they're doing against those goals and develop those kind of relationships with those students. And that kind of model really wasn't possible in a factory model setting where teachers had a had 25, 30 students that they were trying to deliver content to in a class period. It's just impossible to also have those individual conversations. So one of the things that's most exciting for me is to see principals who help their teachers imagine the humanity that can that can emerge in our schools as teachers learn to use the technologies that are available to help students drive their own learning. And then the teachers pivot to being those mentors and those individual tutors for each child on a daily basis. It's a powerful new way of thinking about teaching. Yeah. And some things really have to change when, when you take that approach, because having a teacher right now, my middle school teachers see about 130 students in a day. When I was a teacher, I saw 217, 36 students in six periods. And that was, uh, it was challenging to know who everybody was. And, you know, I did my best and that was where that 
my blended learning approach came from because I had had that many students. So, so many of them are absent. I felt that it was necessary for me to approach teaching in a different way for the benefit of my students. So, you know, one of the the other things, especially with the station rotation model, where you've got like an hour and 15 minute block and, you know, kids are rotating through stations every 15 or 20 minutes or whatever the case may be, is that there's, there's not opportunities for kids to really get engaged in deep work, as Cal Newport calls it, where they can get into a problem and spend the time working through that issue. I have a hard time seeing how these uh, station rotation models specifically uh, lend themselves to that. Can you talk a little bit about some of the ways you can overcome that challenge of kids not getting to deep enough work and only doing superficial things in those station rotations? Yeah, it's a great question. And one of the things we have to recognize is that no single blended learning model is the panacea. There's no one that's the right yes. one necessarily. <laughs> and blend with the station rotation model, to your point, one of the biggest limitations of it is that it can be confining with the rigidity of those those time sessions. So every 20 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever it is for the teacher to call out that it's time to rotate, that can be limiting. And right when students get into flow, which we know is is a very important state of being where you almost forget what you're doing because you're so into it. And it makes me delighted when I see students that get into flow because they're doing a project that has captivated them and that's right at their level. And then the bell rings and they have to rotate or the music plays and they have to rotate. And so to your point, it is it can be a problem. I've seen schools change those station rotations so that the they might rotate each day as opposed to within the block of time. So Monday's block would be online, Tuesday's block would be face-to-face and that kind of thing. I also wrote about a teacher in the Los Altos school district area of Northern California. And this is a free PDF. It's called How to Create Higher Performing Happier Classrooms in Seven Moves, a playbook for teachers. And it's a a research project that I did for the Christensen Institute. But that paper talks about a teacher who was doing station rotations with her ninth grade algebra one classroom. And then she was frustrated that the students had to rotate even if they were in flow and also that she was stuck in her guided group station. And so she decided to free up the time constraints and really in essence what she did was she evolved into a flex model so that the students were doing more of their learning autonomously or in their peer groups and it freed her up to do more of the one-on-one conferencing. So we see schools sometimes freeing up that station rotation and moving towards more of a flex model, particularly at the middle school and high school levels. Well, that was a great interview with Heather Staker. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I sure did. And come back next week when we are going to talk to Heather Staker again Uh, And we're going to continue the conversation about some of the other challenges that we have in implementing blended learning in our schools and finding a way to find the right path for each student. So I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode and uh, please feel free and actually don't feel free. Please do leave a comment at uh, transformativeprinciple.org or leave a rating and review in iTunes. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful, wonderful week. 
Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.